You're listening to Emma Nash, Screen Queens. Hello, you are listening to Emma and Ash, and we are the Screen Queens, bringing you the finest cross-generational tips on what to scroll past and what should make your watch next list on your streaming weapons of choice. I am Ash, the millennial blogger who has finally been made to see Top Gun against my will. And here is M, the Gen X mum of three who refuses to accept Christmas as a genre. Hello there. Hello. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Emma. I see you. <laughs> here I am. I'm checking you out. I'm checking you out. Actually, me and husband with the bad taste of doing that far too much to each other. And I think we think it's much more cute and charming than anybody else does. But, you know. I do it. Exactly. It can be our thing. And I watched it for the fourth time over the weekend. So we're now on four viewings each. each How did it stand up? It's great. I loved it. I know. Let's all go sex nuts. Let's all just go sex nuts. Speaking of sex nuts. Hi, Stu. (laughs) Hi, Ash. Thanks for that lovely segue. I really appreciate it. We love your sex Checking you out, Stu. (laughs) 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 Alas. How is everyone feeling this morning after our crazy hot night last night? I, I slept for eventually. For those of us outside the UK, we had a bonkers heatwave. It's like 33 degrees at nine in the morning, and this is not the reason I live on this godforsaken island. I didn't sign up for this. I'm not into it, and I hate it. And soon it will be Halloween, and everything will be fine again. We might not. We might have an Indian summer, Ashley. Oh, I Shut do hope so. I cannot, Long, I hot days in September and October. But last night was bonkers because I think it was still like 31 degrees at like almost midnight. We had a house full of boys because I have friends over. The boys have friends over as well. And there was just no sleeping going on from anyone till about one in the morning, it felt like. It was just too hot. Too damn hot. Didn't I felt like nothing. I was in a Tennessee Williams play. Oh, the air was sultry. You need to knock yourself out with more liquor. Well, yeah, or you just take, I need a cold bath for my nerves. That's what she always does, isn't she? Like good old Blanche Dubois. Anyway, Stu, did you have a cold bath for your nerves? <laughs> she was a mess yesterday, and I'm outing you. The, our, our podcast text group was on, on fuego yesterday. Night. <laughs> <laughs> it was only on fuego because it was so hot, and also I had lots of cider, but mostly because it was so hot. <laughs> and you lost your damn mind. I lost my damn mind. I was very excited. <laughs> I'd been out with friends and it was lovely weather. It was a lovely day. It was happy Friday. Boy. I was a happy boy. Yeah, let's put it that way. There we go. But- you like to cook yesterday, Stu. You like to cook your meat when you're excited on your various outdoor ovens and fire pits. Mm-hmm. No, not yesterday. Yesterday I was very naughty and um, I had a, a takeaway pizza uh, probably about 10 in the evening. I mean, I think uh, that that's where I was. I mean, and, and given the fact that on Thursday night I had fried chicken takeaway too, I'm I'm I'm, la- I'm, I'm lapsing. I need to I need to get back on the barbecues or just generally cooking good healthy stuff. I was really good and cooked chicken pie for everybody even after James suggested husband with the bad taste suggested I should get taken I was like no no I'm gonna cook and I did and I no, loved no. it I've moved my vinyl record player into the kitchen uh, listening to some whiny folk music and um I cooked uh, while everyone else sat outside and drank beer I was happy I ate olives and drank Strongbow on my own and had to watch fucking Marvel. <laughs> good Marvel, though. Good Marvel. We'll come to that later. Can I just say, though, <laughs> my highlight of this week was I actually went to a real-life customer, had a real-life customer visit, and stayed in a real-life hotel on the Welsh border. And Oh, on the border, yeah, because I'm not sure Wales is what they're feeling about us I don't know if they're well I mean and to be honest now then I and I was up in Greater Manchester as well so obviously that's now been re-locked down and the rest of us are all being re-locked down so I think that may have been my last trip into the wild for some time so I made the most of it 
folks need to stop being idiots with the gatherings over 10. If you ruin Halloween 2020 for me, which falls on a flipping Saturday, I'm going to go eight shit. And I'm not even joking with you. Yeah. You'll go you'll go full hella. You'll go full hella from Thor on us. You're just going to whip that hair into an enormous, spectacular headdress. I and have go a question. Hella. Is Hella the one that's made of fire rocks with the horns or no. the girl with the black hair? The girl. The girl. Okay. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, Thor and Loki's sister, is Hela, okay. goddess of death. The, the big fiery one is Serta. I used to like the name Loki until I met that weasel who went out with Taylor Swift for a bit and then everyone hated him. Did Tom. you actually meet, when you say meet him, you what, you met Tom Hiddleston? No, I used to like the name Loki and then his character ruined it. I'm uh, not sure you really want to call anybody after a mischief, you know, the god of mischief or whatever. I'm not sure Loki Yeah, you is do. I am the god of mischief. It's fine. It's a hereditary. <laughs> I like it. If you have a child, can you call it Loki? Boy Probably or girl? not, because um, Partner with the Good Shouts has terrible shouts when it comes to baby names. I'm not allowed Ariel or Aurora because he's an idiot. Does he just want to call them like Kathleen or Patrick? <laughs> no, he wants to call them Isla after a region of whiskey making in Scotland. So apparently that's not cheap. But yeah, Disney princesses off the table. Not after Isla Fisher. I wanted to say as well, I want to say I want a quick public service announcement for our last couple ESA. of weeks. Well, we have been super, super mean about Zac Efron the last couple of weeks. Oh, I still um, like him. I would. I just wanted that. to say that last night... <laughs> The youngest nine-year-old introduced his best friend to High School Musical that his best friend had never seen. And it was one of the cutest things I've seen because Jago kind of just... all in this together. They get that dance at the end with the... And that tracksuit, it's like Ben Affleck. I can teach him the choreography. Is this the son that's my mentee? Because I, I know all the choreo. He can learn it. I think you've got more than one lining up to be your mentee, but you, I <gasps> bet you could do and you would do it well. But I was... Just going to say how charming he was there. Jago is hilarious because he was just talking William through the whole thing and he kept running in to tell me where we were up to, where Troy and Gabrielle are up to. And I was like, this is adorable because how old must High School Musical be now? Uh, I watched, so the second one came out in 2008, I think. Hmm. So we're talking probably 13, 14 years old. And it was really, and I, and you know, he is such a charmer in it. And then I, we also got pointed out by a regular listener who apparently was screaming at the radio the other day that we did not mention the greatest showman, naming no names, Melanie. Well, that's when we were talking about Zach. We shouldn't be celebrating the life and work and torture and slavery of P.T. Barnum. I can't believe they ever made a film about it. Well, they made a marvellous West End musical as well, starring Michael Crawford, you'll find. I saw when I was eight years old and thought it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen when Michael Crawford walked a tightrope across the West End stage. <gasps> Is Michael Crawford the one who was on a crappy, weird TV show and no one knew he could sing like that and he rebranded himself? Yeah. Do you mean some others do have him? When he went, ooh, Betty, a lot. That was even slightly before my time. He played, a, he played a slightly infantile, probably with slightly special needs character called Frank Spencer that everyone thought was oh, hilarious. Okay. Did his own stunts. It was 70s. It was a different time. He and then, did like Phantom. Today, then he became Phantom. And, you know, then he, yeah, then he became the behemoth of the West End stage. God, I love Phantom. Oh. It's left It's left the West End forever now. It's ended its second longest run behind Cats a year early. It's never coming back. And I never got to see it. Was it 34 I years? I hated it. You hate Phantom? I really do, yeah. I love and it. And all my musicals. It's For what so reason? 80. You're 80s. I went to go and see it for my 13th birthday and it was all right. And then me and the husband with bad taste went to go and see it quite shortly after we were together. Don't listen to him. Well, I, no, I didn't. And I just, it just hadn't, didn't date very well compared to, say, Les Miserables, which I've seen like seven times. And 
I'm trying to think of, well, Hamilton, obviously, I've seen like three Phantom times. Phantom does have, it's, it's like a problematic. Video. So it's problematic in the way Beauty and the Beast is problematic. So grooming and, yeah, and imprisoning females is not the one, even if you do have incredible soundtracks. Did you see the film? With, yes, um, I love the film. Oh, you're applauding as well. I would not have thought. I saw Phantom of the Opera in the West End and I have seen the film. Stuart would make a great tenor. He says no. Which which range is the tenor? Is that a deep one? Is that the... No, that's a bass. Middle and middle, but powerful. Cool. Is it higher than an alto or lower than... Alto is high. Is that high man? Because you can't get male sopranos when you can. Aren't they called cantrados or something? I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> does that mean you're a huge musical fan, Stuart? Not a huge musical fan, no. I, I quite like... I I was um, sceptical seeing Phantom, um, but it, it, I, I, yeah, it, I think the whole bit when you're sat there and then it starts to get quiet... <laughs> It has a certain metal to it. And when the chandelier blocks, doesn't the chandelier, the sh- when the chandelier falls yeah, yeah. down, and I do it's all swinging and everything, right yeah. And I, yeah, I think I was really drawn into that and I was like, okay, it's I'm on board with dramatic. this. Well, the West End does that well. It's like when they have the helicopter in Miss Saigon and Miss Saigon is not a particularly good musical at all. No, Again, I saw that when I was about two or something and I was very, very bored. Very, very bored. Wow, we have managed to... Um, really go off on a tangent again i love that we that could was, talk about basically musicals. i was just giving zach some big shout out yeah zach's okay we should have a musical show oh my god we should oh if we do we have to do south park big Lanka and uh-huh. well, we have to south park big Lanka. i have to have to that's that's mm-hmm. that's peak musical for me that is that's, i think it's hilarious um okay. and i'm trying to think of something else but i don't actually think they made a film of it so i'll skip over that Oh, are you thinking of um, Avenue Q, that sort the, of thing? The, the, the Mormon, Book of Mormon. I bet that too. Like that. I've seen that. I've seen that. And yeah. I bet you like Avenue Q. Yeah. It's hilarious. I liked yeah. Avenue Q. If we do a musical show, though, we'll obviously we just have to start and end it with Seven Brothers, Seven Brothers. <laughs> I think Stuart will actually dig that. It's really? a bit out of his wheelhouse, but I'm making everyone watch 42nd Street feet Sheena Easton. So. Well, that was better than when I saw it. Feet Lulu, as we've discussed. Uh, she's a oh, eight thousand yeah. years old. She can't play that role. Come on now. And I can't. I, I, I. What can I say to you? It was Feet Lulu. It was. She might take it. She was a senior Eastern part. And it was the woman. Like I said, it was so hot. And James, the husband, of bad taste, just sat there watching football in it on his phone. <laughs> it was not not an ideal trip to the theatre. Yeah. The no. theatre. The Remember, we had this lesson previously. Theatre. I, I right. So let's move on to what we've got. But can I also just give a quick shout out to my drink of choice? Did I talk about this? The other this week? is not an advert, everyone. FYI. Not an advert at all, but I'm just very excited that hard seltzer has found, finally found its way to our shores. I don't know what hard seltzer is. It's like alcoholic sparkling water. Oh, like, like. like a white claw. Exactly like a white, exactly like the claw. So, the claw so thin girls drink it, don't they? Well, I am not a thin girl. I think it just makes a change from um, beer, to be honest. Is hard but, uh, seltzer yeah. the natural precursor to alka-seltzer? Oh, I Do you know what? I think yeah, it does. It tastes. It does taste a bit like it, particularly the lemon one. So while you're drinking it, you think you're making yourself healthy again, as opposed you're hydrating. Yeah, also- I thought seltzer was something you drank for a headache. No, seltzer water, but in America they call soda water seltzer water. Like, why do they do milk. that? Because they're, they're wrong. Because they're American. We can get onto that when we talk about Once Upon a Time in Iraq. We, talk, we can talk about Americans. 
all day if you want to fighting for their right to call rocket salad rocket salad because that's what it is but shall i tell you what we're looking at today so first up i liked this the other two not so much but they are not transported by disco music and mafia danger as i am but fear city um new york versus the mafia a three-part mini series which um i quite liked uh how to build a girl which i think we all wanted to like um the i tried really hard um and the oldie but goodie we selected because a it reminded us a bit of what how to build a girl was maybe trying to do and it was on my poster and my little scratch off poster that we refer to each week almost famous year 2000 um and then we have once upon a time in iraq which is a tricky one i've only seen two episodes i've warned off the third episode but emma assures me it's fine um and then my marvel homework was thor ragnarok which is a different film psa to the film that's just called Thor, which when I woke up this morning and tried to re-watch the second half that I fell asleep during, watched for five minutes before I realised. Well, it's effectively the third Thor, isn't it? Because there was Thor, then oh, I think okay. Thor, the dark, Thor the Dark World, isn't it, was number two. That's right. Now, I know. I know Thor, well, we can, <laughs> we'll talk about this when we get onto Ragnarok, but it's the best Marvel. All right. Well, shall we start with Fear City? Reminder, kids, I've started marking the podcast explicit so you can say shit and fuck but we have drawn the line at the c word emma which you said before we started and we all collectively agreed that's too far even i said i said i said the elves the elves went too far but emma will not go emma, too, far. too far i see you anyway so fear city what shall i explain this because i it was my choice and it's my bag so i have i was about to say an irrational interest in, and it's not irrational it's a quite normal interest in true crime um, and the darkness of the human psyche and Fear City tells you the story about the 1970s and 80s in New York when the police were pointless, powerless, it was lawless because there were five mafia families that controlled everything. They controlled the liquor coming in and out, not the drugs. I'll leave you to understand that for yourself when you watch it. They were law enforcement Everyone worked for them. There were no other real jobs. Um, and there were federal agents that decided this has got to stop. If you've visited New York in the last 10 or 20 years, and you're maybe mine and Stuart's age, shade Emma, um, you probably don't realize <laughs> it was just a no-go area for so long. It was the worst place on earth. Can I point out that even though it's cross-generational, blah, 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 <laughs> do you know what I wasn't doing at the age of, let's say, seven? Hanging out around New York. New York with mafia bosses. Shocking, though, that may be for to you. So, yeah, anyway, go on. It seems like you might have been. But, yeah, it's no one wanted to go there. It was hell on earth, and it has really turned itself around with great PR. And I went to New York for the first, maybe the last time last year, and... My my takeaway was it's just a, an all right city with great PR and I stand by that. But yeah, it was a horribly no go zone. The only way these federal agents can break the mafia stronghold because you know what it's like. They've it's it's Italian mafia. They allegedly never double cross one of their own, but I'll leave that open to interpretation as well. And if you've got five families controlling the whole city, 
you have to take all of the heads down all at the same time. But it's like a, the original pyramid scheme. So people do kind of know who the boss is, but you never get to them and no crimes are ever tied to them because they have the underbosses and they have another class of worker and then they have all their minions. So the people they're trying to take down have not committed any crimes whatsoever. So the interesting bit about this, I, I mostly liked the disco and the era it was in, transported um, the clubness of it. And I did go to Studio 54 and touch the mirrored walls. The chandelier is still there. Debbie Harry had been in the building. I lost my mind. Um, and a jagger on a horse, maybe Bianca. 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 But um, they basically have to bend laws and make new laws enable to to enable them to take down these people who have technically not committed any crimes. I'll find out what it was, but one of the things they said in the first episode is that there was a law, and it was already a law when they began taking them down. But the issue Rico. was... No, sorry? Rico, wasn't it? R-I-C-O. I was awake right, for yeah. that bit. Ring is the it, bell. And it's also a bit like disco. D-I-S-C-O. <laughs> Uh, I, oh, I must have missed the disco. I would have stayed awake if there'd been some great disco there, scenes. There was a little bit of disco music that I caught in the soundtrack for the first episode, but beyond that, I haven't really seen it to the same extent Ashley has. But yeah, that, that law they had, it's just a case that um, it existed, but no one really knew how to use it or, or, or how to apply it to the situation they had, and they obviously explained this more in the TV show, so I won't go into too much depth. But it just seemed quite interesting that it took like a, what was a New York law professor at the university in new york oh, yeah, forget, it yeah. was. and then he has to explain to them to he has to basically invite the police and the fbi in and say the training the training and we've heard a lot recently about how poorly american police officers are trained they have little to no idea what the fuck they're allowed to do and it doesn't seem like they need any idea so in the 70s and 80s can you imagine no it must have been hell on earth and it was but it's it's a nice um even nice. if it's no, but even, <laughs> it was adorable. Even if it's not your bag subject matter wise, it is a snappy three episodes. And what I realized at the end was that a lot of these to drag it out and make them money and lure people in with big new long series, they just pad, pad, pad these true crime series. And you have to wait an episode and a half for anything to happen. But this everything happens in three episodes and you're done. And it's it's an education. I quite liked it, but I am. Um, I remember saying before we came on air, my favourite films when I was little were The Little Mermaid and Goodfellas. So I love this shit. I think that was part of my problem. I think you've seen, yeah. Yes, Stuart has just said it was a racketeer influenced and corrupt organisation. That's that. Rico, that was the one bit I, I made. Say. I was saying, I think the problem is because you've seen so many great fictionalised and we grew up, particularly I grew up as well in the 80s and 90s with all these mob films, all these brilliant mob films. I felt, thought I'd see, I've seen quite a lot of this in a more exciting and dramatic manner. I'm not saying that real life should obviously try and ape fictionalised versions, but man, I don't know. It, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to Once Upon a Time in Iraq as our other documentary this week and that really gripped me, this as a documentary. And it's funny because actually Netflix documentaries normally do pull me in. This just didn't. Husband the band to taste claimed he thought it was brilliant, but he's only literally watched 15 minutes and then <laughs> fucked up out the room. So what does he know? I'm going to disagree. <laughs> so, um, but I'll maybe give it another go because you're right. It is only three episodes and 45 minutes, which is 
I pee. That's but this is all like damning with St. Prison. Like when I raved about Norsemen last week, and you guys were just like, Well, thank God it's only six episodes. Maybe because yeah, that was dumb and rubbish, so that makes <laughs> sense. This was dull and rubbish. No, <gasps> you're what? dull. One thing that I did, and I have to admit, this is purely just how my brain works. I'm a big geek, and I, I couldn't help but think a lot of this could have been solved if they had Batman. That's just how my my, my, my head went, and it, and it just sort of made me think of this is um, probably how they got a lot of ideas for those Batman ideas from from, the, from like ages ago. Gotham is based on New York, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah so. For sure. Lot of parallels. Oh, I would have loved it if Christian Bale had come in to sort that shit out. I would have been so down with that. <laughs> it's it does play out, Emma. You you know you love the the glorified, um, not true stories about the mafia, the film versions. So you will like the final half of the third and final episode, where it does it's all thrown into high relief. It's dramatic. It's Shakespearean, and you see the houses fall in various ways and it's stick with it for that it's yeah. great i like the little i anecdote. will do i like the little anecdotes about come the for the disco stick around for the end is that what you're saying uh-huh <laughs> the, the little anecdotes about the technology they use as well about the things about how they how they they intentionally tinker with for example the cable tv connection of a gangster and how oh, they yeah. use that as their in as to get someone on the inside posing as a cable yeah. repair guy i love and that i did love that because i do love I, um i like true crime not for what happened to people but for how they figure out how to catch the people who did it and it's so boring when you can just follow people around on their mobile phone these days but back in the day they did have to figure out how to plant bugs in these people's houses and they have weird and wonderful ways and not just their houses and it did lead us as well, husband Vantes and I, into a conversation about how the Italian mafia is obviously no longer like, you know, they were the, they were the kingpins of organised crime in the 70s and 80s. And we were talking about whereas, you know, how the global shift means that now we have different areas that are very strong in organised crime. I suppose it's what the Russians and the Chinese, I mean, Russian mobsters, because we were saying how less cinematic they would be than, you know, there's something so gripping about the Italian family. It's the outfits. And the panache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the accents, I think, and those awesome New Jersey American Italian accents always. I mean, oh, yeah, there, yeah, there yeah. are a couple of wise guys in this, or soldiers as they were, I guess, because they go through the whole kind of structure. And there are, they, they, they were interviewing a couple of soldiers. I did, I did enjoy them. Yes. They did look nice, and the shocking thing is how young they are now and how young they would have been when they were effectively recruited in. You do well, use 10, 11, about 12 year old boys. We could talk about that in Once Upon a Time in Iraq as well. That was that yeah. was the other thing that blew me away with that. But yeah, you're right. My goodness, they must have. They were nothing but teenagers, almost like a rite of passage, like a bar mitzvah or whatever. But like a mafia bar mitzvah, you join them off, do a first job. Yeah, I, I quite liked it. And if it's give it a go, it is only three episodes. Um, that's Fear yeah. City, New York versus the Mafia. It's a fifteen, and that is on Netflix. To change the tone, irreversibly. Emma, you tell us this. You remind me of Caitlin Moran. I hope that's not uh, an uncompliment. She's chill, huh? I like her. <laughs> I don't know her personally. I haven't known she's from Wolverhampton. A friend of mine saw her speak and did say she was very surprised. She has quite a shrill, spe a, a shrill speaking voice, but I believe that probably is the Wolverhampton um, accent. So Caitlin Moran, who is a very well-known journalist here in the UK, and I do, I am particularly fond of her um celebrity watch column that she does in the times that she's done for about 10 years mm. which is tray amusing she um left school very early she was quite a prodigy became a 
journalist down in London and met Peter Perfidis, who was the um, Times Brock journalist at the time. And so the two of them are, are just, you know, they're kind of well-known, let's say, within London journalistic circles. Since writing all her columns, she's moved on to write two books, I think, and one that's, that's sort of a vaguely fictionalised version of her growing up in Wolverhampton with her family. She has many brothers and sisters, um, you know, an adorable kind of deadbeat dad or whatever and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's what How to Build a Girl is built on. She also wrote kind of fem, more of a... I can't remember what the other one was called, and I started reading it, and I couldn't get into it. There's a massive chapter about how she liked to let her pubic hair grow enormously big, and I lost a little bit of love for her in that. Not that I have any issue with that, but it just felt like, really, is this what feminism is being reduced to? Our own body hair? Come on, Catherine. I know. Brows and bushes, that's not what it's about. Move exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, I kind of, so how to build a girl... I believe that they made a TV show on Channel 4 based on her semi-fictionalised autobiography called Raised by Wolves. And there was a big hoo-ha about the fact that it was, it was pulled after a season because people who loved it really loved it. And here is Catelyn Moran writing about her own upbringing. She is an awkward, probably by her own confession, an awkward Wolverhampton teenager who is very bright, loves to write, is passionate about, in, in, you know, in, in the film, she has this awesome kind of wall of her literary heroines, everyone from Sylvia Plath to Joe March, from the women to the Bronte sisters. And it's just sort of the story of how she manages to reinvent herself as rock journalist Dolly Wilde, moved down to London at the tender age of 16 and become a journalist for the, I think, Face. what's the... Yeah, well, it's been, they, they, they give it a fictionalized, it's not the NME or something, it's the R. Oh, it's a something, something. But apparently as well, she also, Catherine Miranda said, this isn't just entirely based on her, it's also semi-based on Julie Birchill. Now, do you know, do you, do either of you know Julie Birchill? No. By all accounts, not a particularly pleasant person, but again, she did write for the NME, um, and she was married to Tony, and I can't remember his surname, but he's written, he was another journalist. Anyway, she was another very feisty, young, mouthy journalist in the 1980s, wrote an incredibly popular, like, sex-lit novel in the 90s as well. So it's also based on Julie Birchall and Catelyn Moran, and the story is, there she is, in Wolverhampton, impoverished background, council house, terribly talented, goes down, blows London away with her amazing witticisms. In her writing. And becomes best friends of lots of very famous musicians. And on the way becomes a bit of a bitch and then realises she's been a bit... It, I, it, I don't know, it tick boxes for me. It stars Beanie Feldstein, Jonah, Jonah Hill's, Hill's sister. From Booksmart. One of the two female leads from Booksmart. That was an incredible film. Yeah, I really, really like her. And she does, in fact, as everyone talks about, she does a very, very good Wolverhampton accent. But I did feel a bit like that was all I kind of really took away from this was how much I appreciated Beanie Feldstein's look in this kind of crazy 80, you know, because Catelyn Moran obviously just, you know, started to wear fishnets and top hats and all the awesome kind of new romantic 80s gear and her accent. But I, it didn't, it, I could see what it was trying to do and it was charming to an extent. And her parents are played by Paddy Constantine, who are watching anything and is so Sarah Soleimani is her mum and yeah, from she is bad education the best thing. Unrecognisable in this. And I was going to say the same. And I thought, is that too niche to say that? But yeah, you're right. Unrecognisable. She's the best thing. So good. Well, Paddy Constantine as well as her adorable father who has... Failed musician. Well, his watered ambitions to be a jazz musician and thinks he can then do it. And he's illegally breeding border collie puppies in the house. And, and they, they keep caught. having accidental kids and like, so... But Sarah Soleimani's performance is you will take away, she, 
I think everyone will agree she is the best thing. She's not in it a lot, but you can just see how her life experiences, the cards she's been dealt, have just wiped any kind of energy, ambition, lifeblood, everything out of her. But she's still so caring and kind, and she is trying, but she just cannot. And she's adorable. She's a very young, um, one of those comedic actors who's very dry and awkward. So she's in things like Inside Number Nine, which was made by the guys who did The League of Gentlemen, which is a very awkward, niche, avant-garde comedy. And she is fabulous. I hope this means that she's going to be in more films. I'd only seen her in Bad Education. If you watch that, that's a Jack Whitehall sitcom. Yeah. She yeah. kind of plays his, his sort of unrequited love interest. And she's, mm. ve- she's a very good foil in that too. But, you know, she, very, very good foil in that to Jack Whitehall's complete idiot. She is like a yeah. relatively sensible grown-up. <laughs> but... Yeah, she's really good. Also, I haven't heard of him before, but a guy called Laurie Caniston, um, Kyniston, would you pronounce that? Who plays Chrissy? Who's, um, oh yes, Johanna's brother, and he is. And when she Lovely. kind of gets a bit too uppity and up herself, they are very good at bringing her back down. Like I say, you've got a plethora of famous names as well. You've got Mel and Sue from the Great British Bake Off, and um, Sharon Corgan and Lucy Punch, all playing these the versions. characters on the wall. Yeah, who, who kind of speak out to her, which is a, something I haven't really seen since, oh, Absolute Beginners, which is a terrible 80s film with Patsy Kensit. Right. There's a similar thing there where her kind of record, where her record covers talk to her to give her advice or whatever. And that was cute, but it didn't really go far enough. And no. I didn't think that they showed the sexism in London enough. I couldn't work out all these other guys who she's working with, who then are really mean to her one night and, you know, sort of talking behind her back about how, you know, she's... Not necessarily she's rough and working class. Yeah, she's working class and she's bigger and all this kind of thing. But they all looked about 12 years old and I couldn't, I didn't really get any sense of threat or passion or talent from them either. And then you have this whole mm. sideline with Alfie Allen playing the rock star that she I, He was enigmatic. I liked that and I didn't see him a lot at all. Well, you see, you need to watch some Game of Thrones, Ashley, because then oh, I really were. I don't like your dragon shit. <laughs> no, I know, but he's in Game of Thrones and he plays Theon, who's a really, really key character. And I'm re-watching it. It's a brilliant performance. And I think Alfie Allen, I'm much fonder of him, I would say, than um, Lily Allen, who also pops up in this Oh, movie. she's on the Taylor. wall. Oh, I thought so that was a stretch as well. Fucking like, Taylor. Okay. Sit down. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> Fish, Ma'am, please. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, but yeah, oh, anyway, it was on... <laughs> <laughs> so, we were, so I watched so it and it was an hour and a half of my life that I did not hate but I, I, I was wanting to like it more like you said I wanted this to be a kind of good British period piece of the early 80s or whatever and, and with, with heart and with laughter and it did have heart but it didn't have enough laughter for me That's I think it was aiming to be Bridget Jones as a rebellious teenager that's the kind of vibe it had it was aspiring to tell the same story as what our oldie but goodie is. They have very similar life trajectories, but it felt like a made-for-TV movie. And if they build itself as that, it would have been quite pleasant. But I think it fell short of what I hoped. Um, but that is How to Build a Girl. It is a certificate, 15. I have no idea where I watched that. Was that on Amazon, Netflix, the iPlayer? Um, Who knows? It's on Prime. It's included with Prime. Oh, it's Amazon Prime. I would give it a go. It's, I think, for younger audiences, like 15, 16-year-old girls would dig this to death. Um, yeah, I, and, and, she is, and, she's a, and she's a pretty good, you know, she's a pretty good role model. And it's directed by 
Corky Gidrick, who is Mel Gidrick's sister, who I didn't even know she had oh. a sister, her elder sister, who's done a lot. I think this is her first feature by the looks of things. She's done a lot of TV. She did Harlots. She's done Save Me, Penny Dreadful, The oh, Hour. Penny Dreadful, nice. Oliver okay. Twist, a lot of BBC stuff she's directed. So it's her first feature film and she doesn't make a bad fist of it, but it just didn't, it didn't quite have the courage of its convictions, I think. And it wasn't funny enough criminally. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was, it was good enough, um, and it reminded us of. And I forgot how Christ alive. I rewatched this this morning to cheer myself up after having to watch Thor again. I forgot how incredible our oldie but goodie, almost famous from the year two thousand, Cameron Crowe, written and directed. Billy Crudup, Kate Hudson in a couple of the leads. So it tells a very similar story, doesn't it, to How to Build a Girl. So you have the very young journalist. Oh, my God. And Francis McDormand looks so hot in this. <laughs> but wait, I can't find William. William Miller. Patrick Fugit. I Patrick Fugit. Never seen much him. after this. Which I find so disappointing. I think maybe he did the CSI. Anyway, sorry, yeah. So William is a very young prodigy who's been moved up a couple years in school. He's an incredible writer. Um, Frances McDormand plays his overbearing, but yeah, she's a complicated character. She's trying to nurture the brilliance in her two kids. So William ends up finishing school early because he's been put forward a couple years and goes off on the road with a band who I think is supposed to be Clear Credence Clearwater Revival. It reminds me. No, of Led Zeppelin. Is it supposed to be Led Zeppelin? This is very. This is autobiographical for Cameron Crowe. Yes, Cameron yes. Crowe, who is now married to the girl in Oh God, who sings alone? Heart. So he married an awesome eighties rock star. Anyway, you know, and then mm. you know, it's based on him. And he went on the road with Led Zeppelin, but before Led Zeppelin were huge. So the scene in Almost Famous. When Billy Crudup stands on top of the garage and says, I'm a golden god, Shut your that's mouth. Robert Plant. Yes, Stuart. Makes sense, because also Led Zeppelin, they provided the main song for Thor Ragnarok, which is the immigrant song. There we go. That's my little connection for the day. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, so it's, it, it was, it's, meant to be, it's meant to be Led Zeppelin. So he gets uh, to go on. Carry on. I am wanting to mine you, Emma, because I know you know every anecdote about this, and I have forgotten everything. I've only seen this once before, when I was too young to appreciate it, but watching it back, what a capture of being on the cusp of starting your own life. And if you just take the step, take the chance, take the reins, you can do whatever you want. It can go terribly. It can be horrific and heartbreaking and awful, or you can become amazing. And it's just the personality you need, the people behind you, you need the chances you take. And it just, will it will shape your entire life and it was wildly inspiring I thought well I'm so pleased that we picked this as our oldie book goodie because we have been Jay um husband bad and I've been talking for a while about oh my god we need to watch almost famous with the boys this came out when we were living in Australia and I was such a huge Cameron Crowe fan because obviously Cameron Crowe did Fast Times at Ridgemont High awesome Sean Penn's you know kind of this you know discovery then he did singles which I rewatched recently. It doesn't necessarily stand up, but it's very much, it's on the button for that time in Seattle, early 90s, all that kind of thing. Then he did Jerry Maguire. I'm not even going to let you talk about that, Ashley, because it's a piece of genius. And <laughs> um, and so I was so excited when this, I had the 
promo picture for this up as my screen because this is before mobile phones obviously well not before smartphones i had it up as my screensaver on my computer at work on your that windows machine on my windows machine for about <laughs> six months before it came out that's how excited we were about what about when this came out because it's just the, the most brilliant still almost famous 73 it says on the bus and it's just got all of the band and william and the groupies there and when it came out i was so not disappointed and it came second only at our film themed wedding it came second only to dazed and confused off the top table it would have made top table had it not been for that uh, uh, so, so i loved seeing all of lots of people cr um crop up here billy crudup i forget where he ever came from like why is this guy so famous and then he he gave this incredible performance in this film francis mcdormand kate hudson jason lee patrick fugitive where did you go we miss you zooey Deschanel. Uh, displaying why she should never live without a fringe ever again. Anna Paquim, um, I love Feruza Balk, who plays one of the non-groupies, one of the band-aids. Um, from the craft. From the craft. Jimmy, I knew that was Jimmy Fallon. I knew yes. it was. Jimmy, yeah, yeah, I, I was, yeah, Jimmy Fallon. Also Noah Taylor playing their manager, but just everything. Philip Seymour oh. Hoffman plays his confidant. Oh, that Lester is, Bangs. Oh. Lester Bangs, a journalist, and the, you know, sorely missed the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman, not in it very much, but when he is in it, again, lights those scenes up. He's at the end of the phone, because mm -hmm. basically this kid has lied through his teeth to get there. He's trying to get, you know, the interview, and he wants the interview with, so Billy Crudup is playing Russell Hammond, who is the lead guitarist, but Jason Lee, who is playing Jeff Babe, Babe, who is the um, lead singer, they have this whole clash because basically Russell is becoming a star and that was not the way they planned it, but you can't help that when you're, when you're mm -hmm. on the road. They have these questionnaires band-aids or groupies who are, you know, only they're so young, 16 or 17, they are babies. If that, yeah. But it is, you know, that is exactly as it was. And it's done in a very sensitive manner. And I think there's the most wonderful scene where they decide they are going to take William's virginity. I guess he's 16. And it's done so charmingly and so sensitively and frankly, just rather beautifully. I was like, I do believe one of my children may have said, well, that would be a very nice thing to do with it. it. And I think it's a really... That, that, you know, it's very healthy. Obviously, Kate Hudson, it was quite the star-making performance for her. She's never really lived up. She was Oscar-nominated for this. And she's never really she's taken off an air. She's only been with the, with the pirate McConaughey. man. McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah. I, I remember that, that scene that you mentioned, and I'm interested to hear that your very young teenage boys read it that way, because as a 30-something-year-old female, I was like, Ah, uh, I thought that too questionable, it. but they were all it over. I guess they're all over age, and they are all age appropriate in that scene as well. If you think about it, it's yes. much more. It's much less. I mean, very problematic. Found, you know, the other relationships. Yeah, the whole Kate Hudson. Well, you know, Kate Penny Lane, the chief groupie, and Russell Hammond, their relationship because clearly that started the year before as well. That is questionable. But yeah. again, I think it's dealt with delicately and sensitively, and obviously through the vision of someone who was really there and really went through this it's shot beautifully the color palette is amazing the costumes are amazing it feels like a real love letter obviously to this kind of cusp of manhood that Cameron Crowe was going through at the time but it doesn't yeah. feel so personal that you can't share in it either and I think that's a real talent I think it, it, it's open to you all but yet you can also tell this is an incredibly personal story to tell yeah. and the scene 
when they have been to, so they, they end up going to this high school guy's party. This is like Russell Hammond just invites himself back to some high he school. He needs kids. to experience something real. He has to leave. If you could do that then, and this is when, like I say, this is the, the urban legend that Robert Plant really did stand on something and jump into the pool and say, I'm a golden god. And he does that. And they're obviously, they're all high as kites. And the next day when they're all on the bus and they're all coming down and then Elton John's Tiny Dancer comes on. And I'm telling oh. you, before 2000, I don't think that Tiny Dance had as much traction as it does now as an Elton John, as an Elton John song. Because I'll tell you something funny. We went to a wedding in 2003 and the, and the, the entertainment was a um, Elton John lookalike. Elton John, you know, tribute act. Okay. Husband with the Bad Taste was so drunk that he was just screaming in this guy's face, will you play fucking Tiny Dancer? And the guy was like, look, I've just got, like, it's all set on my computer. I can only play what I've got to play, and that's not one of the popular ones because it was only two years after the movie. And Husband of Bad Taste was just in floods of tears. Play Tiny Dancing. Play Yaya Ding Dong. By the way, you two are in charge because my next of kin cannot be trusted. Tiny Dancer is one of my funeral songs, followed by um, the ABBA one. What am I trying to say? Which ABBA one? Dancing Queen. Oh, obviously. Um, so I was going to say, but that scene on the coach when they, when Tiny Dancer comes on and they all start singing it is a work of genius. There's also, which you have completely forgotten about, another work of genius right towards the end when they think they're going to crash on the plane. And it's like, <laughs> they all the come out with everything. drama. Too much, too much honesty. And then the captain comes back, it's okay, we're all going to live. And they're all just completely shell-stopped and silent. I and love each other. It is a wonderful mix of emotion and drama and comedy and it's all heart i just feel this film this film just has this enormous heart and yeah I love it for that. it's the best um illustration that i've seen of being able to both hold up the band members as the revered gods they were and to be able to explain to you the level of fame and adoration they had and then you also see that they are just regular guys and a group of friends who are just trying to be in a band for money I really liked how they played those two together so if you spend any time around these people the magic can really dissipate and then that's what I think uh, William was trying to say on the plane at the end he's like look she was a real fan and you fucked her over none of these people are your real fans they just adore you because you're a god we don't have yeah, gods anymore you guys are the gods um so she yeah I liked real. that she gave you something real. She gave you real emotions. And I also, if any of my children end up becoming stunning journalists and running away with rock bands, I hope I too can instill terror like Frances McDormand. Because <laughs> when she rings up... Don't do kid, drugs! Yeah, exactly. You're in... Doris, have kidnapped my son! You're in LA with... Fuck me. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lover. So I would say, so 20 years old, and it really... It, it, yeah, it's my favourite Cameron Crowe film after this it was all downhill for for me for him we talked about this he made elizabeth town and that made me cry <gasps> i liked elizabeth town but Maybe i was rewatch it no it, it it came out at the exact right time i think i watched it when i was maybe 18 or 19 and it was all right i liked it and a never better billy crudup and frankly a never better jason lee either famous scientologist photographer and skateboardist but he does take great photography. Follow Jason Lee on Instagram, actually. His photography is amazing. Really, really good. Yeah, give that a go. Well, including the Oscar that Cameron Crowe got for his writing, this won another 52 awards and was nominated for 103 others. Um, and it's Certificate 15. I found it on Prime. It was free for me on Amazon Prime. Um, 
people have DVDs still, don't they? People still have DVDs. If it's free <laughs> on Prime, that's fine. I think we may have found it on, it may even also be on Sky Cinema or now, but we we watched yeah, it. probably. It's, it holds up. Go back and watch it. Do not even think about the year it was made. It's not important. You'll think it was made last year. It's, it's a perfectly crafted period piece. I mean, it's set in 1973. What a year that was, the year I was born. Thanks very much. Ew. Year all round. <laughs> I got, so Stuart and I, we have Spaceballs. We have, so, 1987 was a good year for films. Yeah, okay. I, I can only remember Spaceballs. Though. I, I think you remember no, you know more than I do. I, I, I couldn't tell it off my head any films from 87. What's uh, Dirty Dancing, The Princess Bride, Full Metal Jacket. Robocop Predator, The Lost Boys, Empire of the Sun, The Witches of Eastwick, Feet, Cher, and Susan Sarandon, and me. Who's me who's in Grease 2? What's her name? Michelle Pfeiffer. That's the one. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, who's the other one? I'm sorry. Michelle Pfeiffer, Judy Garland. It's hard to keep up with your many celebrities. I do I look like Judy Garland when she's 12. Swear to God, I think I'm the same. Well, but I was going to say, can you stop just reading out names of films that came out the year you were born? I've already complained about the fact I put no makeup on today. I feel like I look 105 years old. Now I now feel 105. At least you showered, Emma, which is more than I could say for myself. That's very true. <laughs> the Sting came out the year I was born. And that's a good movie. The who? The Sting. Actually. Okay, sorry. I didn't hear the word. Anyway, that was Almost Famous. It holds up. Please watch it today. Oh, it's a 15... It's all right, actually. 12A, I reckon, if it was made today, if anything. I would think so. Maybe some of the sec- maybe it's, it's some of the sexual content, perhaps, would push it into, into 15. But no, I would think 12A. It's brilliant. It's, it's still one of my absolute favourite films. Love it. I agree. Good favourite. Um, again, changing gear. This is incredible, though. This is a very well-made piece. Is this um, on the iPlayer? BBC iPlayer. Five episodes all ready to go okay so they're all one hour episodes a little mini series called once upon a time in iraq narrated by andy circus who is the guy from the other shit i haven't seen who likes the ring and he's the weird Lord goblin. of the rings also That's the from one. planet of the apes probably our finest motion capture actor. it's our finest motion capture also actor. in the marvel cinematic <laughs> universe but you know everyone is yes he is what, he in marvel he's he plays the he plays um someone called claw who's the south african sort of uh weapons baron warlord type yes which movie was he's, that he's in um he's in the avengers age of ultron and he's oh, also black panther and black panther yeah black panther that's yeah black panther anywho <laughs> he narrates this which i didn't even realize until i looked him up on imdb because you thought it was mark strong <laughs> Because Mark Strong narrates everything and he sounds like Mark Strong. And he took jobs, food out of Mark Strong's babes' mouths. Um, But Once Upon a Time in Iraq, it's real life personal archive footage and um, interviews with civilians and soldiers from both sides of the Iraqi conflict. Uh, And it sort of takes viewers closer to what the reality of life was under ISIS and then what happened when the war was launched against them. Maybe because I'm a bit of a sort of conspiracy theorist and I'm not saying this is a conspiracy theory at all, um, but I mean, I look into stuff and I'm interested in the other side of the story and I will dig around the internet to get something else other than that's being shown to me on the BBC, which is our state-funded propaganda that we have to pay a license fee to watch. But 
Exactly. We have to pay for our propaganda, Emma. What a what a mess. What a mess. That's surely not the reason it's not propaganda. That's I I I That's the lie they feed you. Don't. Well, I didn't tell I didn't tell their COVID coverage. Now I'm not sure yeah. I do so much. But no, I tell you. Don't. So to me, everything that was being sensationally revealed in this documentary, I already knew and accepted. So we know that Western forces came in and fucked everything up. We know that Saddam was the best friend of the West years ago, and they held him up as a lamb to the slaughter to make out like they did the right thing. I knew all this already, and it's being presented, however many decades later, as brand new information. I think that's super unfair Ashley I started watching this last night and I've now watched those I watched three out of the five episodes and it is telling it in a kind of um time consequential time consequential what is that right? time sequential manner but also each episode gives you is interviewing different characters so the first episode kicks off with this amazing interview they found called Walid who um was an Iraqi teenager at the time who took part in this sort of Iraqi US cultural exchange and by his own admittance was like I was completely obsessed with America I thought it was going to be brilliant when they came in to get rid of a Saddam little did I know you know you can see he'll be coming back I imagine to discuss yeah how it wasn't great in the slightest mm-hmm. then the second episode which I thought was fascinating was about um, a general called Nathan Suserman who was kind of held up as quite the poster boy of the Americans in Iraq and it's all about them trying to win their hearts and minds but of course the reality is you know like he I think he says at one point it's like this country is not 200 years old this country is you know centuries old and we come in and we expected you know we had no plan we expected to do it but he it seems to me in that second episode that he just he, a switch goes. One of his friends is killed by an insurgent because he's put in charge of like the place in the middle of the Sunni triangle where the insurgents are coming up and his friend is killed. And it, and that's it. He just starts to barb wire this village. It, he sees everybody as a threat. And then in the end, he was sort of dishonorably discharged from the army under a bit of scandal because two of his men were accused of drowning two Iraqi civilians in the Farsi River. So he's now, it's just an interesting trajectory to me. And he's written a book, I think, that is called, like, you know, The Triumph and Betrayal of an American Officer. Obviously, he feels he was harshly treated. But I think that the insight you see into these guys who were at war, and I don't agree with you when I think they're trying to lay it out as as new news. I think, actually, it's quite factual. and And for me, and I feel terrible, I was... 30 years old when the Iraq war, when, when, you know, when, when the Americans went into Iraq, I should know more about this. And really, I don't think I took much notice. To be fair, I was getting married. I was trying to have children. I was doing what, you know. And it wasn't reported to you accurately at all. No, although we had the most surreal experience. We went to Mexico in 2004 and we were stuck at Atlanta Airport for almost 24 hours. It was a horrend- um, And it was right in the middle of, and so the, the troops, and Atlanta is the busiest hub in the States for um, Delta Airlines, I think. So you've got mm-hmm. all these troops going out and coming back and going out and coming back. So the airport was full of them and everyone would just be standing up and applauding every time they came through and went back. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that either. Mm-hmm. And Husband of Bad Taste and I ended up eating chicken wings and drinking beer with a kid called Tyler who'd done two active tours in Iraq. And they were sending him back home to be to like do um, recruitment, to be a sort of PR guy. And he didn't want that at all. He was like, I want to get good. back in there. I want a dogfight. I, you know, oh, this, no, that's, that's not I good. See. No, it wasn't. He was bonkers. And he was 19 years old. He's brainwashed. This is, what, this is what I was talking about. You watch this and you just realise those Marines are babies that went in there. And they were... 
but so it's, AOC, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the best congresswoman to ever walk the surf, is trying to put, pass a law. They're trying to start recruiting for the U.S. Army on TikTok. And she's like, please don't do that because you're going to banning fucking TikTok, sexual. aren't they? Ex- Trump's signing the order on Tuesday to ban it. He doesn't like the um, the BTS band telling people stuff. Anyway, Stuart, go. So yeah, um, Cortez, she also, so it's, it's not just TikTok, it's um, Twitch as well. So Twitch is a prominent streaming platform for for uh, gamers. Children. Gamers, uh, children as well, children amongst them, but yeah, gamers. And, and they all watch these videos where they go and play things like Call of Duty, Minecraft, whatever, altogether. But the the military are using it as this sort of recruiting platform. And it is... You could do this. And you, it's not. You're going to die. You're fighting for something you don't understand. Did and that shouldn't be happening that, anyway. That, did you know that that, that, that that bill didn't pass? The amendment didn't pass? Good. It, no, no, it didn't. It, the bill didn't. Oh, it, as in she couldn't ban it, you She mean? couldn't ban it. No, that failed. Oh. So Republicans and Democrats, the people who voted against for it, sorry, were largely Democrats. But then, of course, the Republicans sort of own the Senate, don't they? So, yeah, yeah it didn't go through. Flip the Senate. Fucking vote, kids. If you're you... voting by post and you're in the US two weeks before minimum, please, from the rest of the world, we are begging you. Please. And before Stu gives it, because I know Stu watched, watched some of the I was just going to say that you were warned or, or have um, probably a good shout said you would find maybe episode three a little bit too disturbing. This is yeah. it's just entitled Fallujah. And obviously Fallujah was the bloodiest conflict of all. Uh-huh of the Iraq war, but they do a really interesting job of telling it through the eyes of an Iraqi civilian family who couldn't afford to leave. I mean, like, because- Exactly, people, where do you go? If you, if you don't have a car, you can't get a plane ticket, yeah, you're stuck. They, so they, there were about 50,000, I think, who couldn't, literally couldn't afford to leave, could go nowhere. But their story ends up being rather heartwarming. Also the story of some very, very dignified and wonderful parents of a Marine who lost his life in that. And then also the New York Times journalist called Dexter Filkins, who pops up the whole time, and an Australian photographer called Ashley Gilbertson, who's also in it the whole way through. And they are, Dexter Filkins in particular, I do love him because one of the Marines that he's sort of put with or whatever, you know, because they they obviously have to go with a troop of marines to stay safe or whatever and this guy was like we did not like them at all we were like these what these journalists doing out here anyway they're probably just reporting shit news and you know making us mm-hmm. really bad and he was like and dexter filkins himself just looks like a frat boy who's woken up from the biggest bender ever and it's so true even now this guy is now six years like that but he is you know he is just your archetypal kind of war journalist and it also tells the story of fallujah through him and this photo- it, it's it's a re- I think the BBC have done this really well. I think they're telling it in a, you, you, you are instantly engaged. These are human stories, but I do believe that they're telling it from lots of sides. Myself was the Dexter guy. Was he the guy with the long curly hair? No, that's Ashley Gilbertson. So he's the photographer mm. who worked with De- Dexter Filkins. He's the kind of guy who's wearing the denim shirt with a white t-shirt underneath. Yeah, I quite enjoyed his take on it because he said how literally it was his first um, sort of uh, war j- journalism job. He'd never been doing any photography, anything like that. And they literally loaded up the car with whiskey and beer and drove around without any of the flat jackets, none of the helmet, none of the protective gear. And by all Ooh. rights, on several occasions, they they had no right to have survived and got out of that place alive. But for one reason or another, they managed it. Um, and I found that fascinating. And all those sort of bits of... that They, they can still find a way to look, at, look back at it and to get some sort of humour out of it simply because of how insane the whole situation was and how uh, uh, off the wall it was and how 
you know, it's the only way you can really process it because war is mental. It's never going to be logical. It's, it's called theatre. When you're in live action, they call it when you go in theatre because it's made up. It's a performance. It shouldn't be happening. Exactly. I am glad that the BBC over a decade later have done the right thing and is finally reporting what actually happened and why but that's not good enough and it doesn't excuse the fact that they lied when it happened and that's why we stayed there and that's why lots of people died um, and heads up to James Murdoch for resigning from News Corps well done because he doesn't agree with the way certain world events have been reported by News Corps who owns fucking everything Succession becoming real life I'm so excited good. for the new season of Succession but yeah to finish off on what again I don't think this is probably not the kind of thing I would have deliberately sought out on the iPlayer if I wasn't talking about this and I'm so pleased I have because in the last 12 hours okay. I've watched three episodes and I just like I said they, they found some excellent people to interview again in the first episode there's an Iraqi stand-up comedian well he, he's now he does a TV show it's watched by like 19 million Iraqis and he you know because these guys are like look we know Saddam the ship happened. I'm not saying he was a great guy by any way, shape, or form, but the fact the Americans went in there, used and abused, think about any, you know, had no plan, and they they put they put stuff into place which should never have been put into place. It's just, yeah, it's it, it's a really, really it's a hard watch. It's not as hard as I was worried it would be, but it's really, really well told, well edited, well edited. Yeah. The best thing that I took away from it and the thing that was not reported to me at all and the first I heard of it was we were being told that, oh my God, these Sunnis and these Shiites fucking hate each other. They're trying to kill each other. We have to go and restore peace. And I think it was the guy you were just talking about, Emma, who said, it's like trying to tell the difference between a Catholic and a Christian. We've got no clue who is following what. We, we all look the same. We all live together. That was, that was never a thing. It was never a thing. So one of the things I found quite peculiar as well was the, um, and, I, and you know, it's, and it's, it's, it's again, this, this series is going to go on to talking about how ISIS became prominent in Iraq. I've only seen the first episode, but then, you know, you've told me this. But it's the whole idea is that even if the Saddam is a total shitbag and he's so corrupt and everything and all that, and it doesn't matter whether he's got WMDs or not, we never really found out. He, he did not. You did find out. He did not. Sorry. And the reality was, is that... Cheers, Tony Blair. Sorry. I, I hope you're feeling good for being a born again. You're still a dick and I hope you die. But anyway, Stuart, go what, on. What I was saying was, sorry, sorry about that, um, <laughs> was that they took out the power. Even if he was a shitbag, he was the power. And there was, he, he was the organisation, wasn't exactly. he? Exactly. And they take him out and then suddenly there's a power vacuum and that's when it goes to shit. Right. And they just had no idea, you know, they, they had, and like, you know, there's a very telling shot, isn't there, where they're like, they're looting all of Baghdad, apart from the Ministry of Oil, obviously, which was the first thing the Americans did, was just ensure that that, that shit's empty, guys, don't worry, it's on, it's on a plane back to Atlanta. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to say, I'm not going to lie, I voted for Tony Blair, and I would still rather have him than Boris Johnson, I'm just saying that right I now. I know, well, we're liberals, and he used to be liberal, and then he was I don't think romanticised by the US. I still believe that he thought he was doing the right thing, and I, I stick by that. And also, it's funny actually watching it and watching George Bush Jr. talking at the time. You're like, oh my god! He took the advice of that child who ate crayons until he was thirty. Come on! <laughs> my point is, you thought, oh my goodness, America are really in a mess. what a mess. Them with Bush and now, guys, <laughs> we still your funny friends. How we laugh. We love you. You're going to come through the other side of this. It's going to be okay. We'll see you on the other side. I know my American friends. Are, you know, are all signing up to vote, and I know they're praying hard. So let's just please. Vote. It's the most important non-violent act you will ever commit. And if you're 
a lady or if you're BAME and you don't vote, God be with you. And he doesn't exist, so good luck. <laughs> but, <laughs> also, <laughs> but also seek out Once Upon a Time in Iraq on the BBC. In the first episode as well, and, and Stu commented on this on the, on, on the podcast was that there is this guy, Rudy Rays, who is this bonkers Marine who, as I think, I, I don't want to take your quote, Stuart, you should say it yourself. I forgot what my quote was, please say you it. You were just like, holy shit, he looks like he's fallen out of G.I. Joe. Exactly, he really yes. He's now an actor, played himself in Generation Kill, but I don't know, they did. They found some really, really good characters to interview, and it keeps you engaged, which Fear City did not, for yeah. example. He's a good um, poster boy for that whole Marine thing where yeah. they've their mind's been completely sculpted by the military. That, that that's, that's the only way they know how to think now. It's called institutionalised. Well, it made me think about all the popular culture that came out of it. So I, I thought about American Sniper. I was thinking about Zero Dark Thirty. I was thinking I must watch Generation Kill. It's, yeah, there's a lot to think about. Okay. We have hit the hour mark, but why would we rob me of being able to talk about my favourite thing I saw a week, which I <laughs> forgot about and watched last night and then fell asleep during and finished this morning before we started recording? My Marvel homework, it wasn't Thor, it was Thor Ragnarok. Which and I say it was set by Thor. me as my, oh, oh, yes. this is my, because I think this is my favorite Marvel film. And I'm having rewatched it, I'm going to stand by that. Well, I know, not including Endgame. If I take Endgame out, this as a standalone, I think is the best. It was all right. It was quite funny. Um, also, I told some people at work that I, my second piece of homework was to watch the Captain Brie Larson thing. And they said, but that's the last one. And I shouldn't have done that. But I asked for that, didn't I? You did ask for that. We tried okay. to, I tried to get you to watch the first Avengers, but you were, you, you <sighs> anyway, how did you find Thor Ragnarok? What was it about, Ash? Oh, well, this did have a storyline for once. Yeah. Um, there are a, two brothers, one of the Chris's or one of the Hemsworth's is Thor and then the small greasy one who went out with Taylor Swift is the bad one called Loki but they seem to get on quite well during this and at this Kate... point they do they have a complicated okay. relationship throughout the MCU okay show. so I remember texting you at the beginning saying Loki has no chill and apparently I got that right because I can read personalities I've got emotional intelligence for days if my airwaves performance does not convey that well enough. Um, Kate Blanchett is their very bad sister. And there's an old guy. Is it Anthony Hopkins? It looks like Anthony Hopkins. Ashley. Okay. Wonderful. He's their dad. He likes the boys, but he doesn't like the sister. Jeff Goldblum's in it. Tessa Thompson's in it. She's quite main. She helps them. And uh, wait, I have it. I'm nearly there. So the blonde one, Chris, <laughs> Thor. Thor, is captured and he finds the Hulk, who, ah, oh, Mark Ruffalo, oh, I love him. Uh, he's captured and uh, his brother's in and around the same place and they find each other again and they work together with Tessa Thompson to get back to their own planet, but then they can't do that. They go to Earth instead because the sister's fucking mental. They have to go and save the planet from Ragnarok, which I believe is the end of the world. This is quite, this is a big Marvel universe. Is Ragnarok a place or a person? Ragnarok is neither. Ragnarok is oh. a time. So Ragnarok is meant to be the, it's the end of days. It's the apocalypse, basically. It, it, okay. it, but, but on, um, what's their planet called again? Asgard. 
It's on our yes, Asgard's yes. end of days. So I like <laughs> rewatching this. I'm I, I know we've gone way over time, so I'm not going to say that much. But I'm just going to say rewatching this. First of all, I was struck once again by how good Mark Ruffalo is. I think he's the most oh. generous actor. I think he allows That's other adorable. people. Take the, I don't know, he's just, he's so good because he gets to be Bruce Banner mostly in this and he's so baffled because he has ended up being Thor for way, Thor, being Hulk for way longer than he usually would do. So he's completely confused and he can't come out of being Hulk. So when Thor sees him in the gladiator ring and it's just like, oh great, it's you, we're friends. Hulk can't even get it. And Ash has some awesome news about that particular line, which is great. I learned this again from work friends who told me that I, cause I told them, oh, I have to watch this for my homework next. And that good line was made by um, a Make-A-Wish kid who was on set that day and they saw what was happening. They're like, oh, that's your friend from work. And so Thor looks at uh, Hulk and said, I know him, He's, we're friends from work. And it stayed in the film. It's, which, and, it is, and that's a great scene. I, li- I really like the backstory. I like the idea that Hela is goddess of death, you know, the daughter of Odin. I like the idea it comes back into Norse mythology that goes back. Because, you know, once upon a time, Odin was all about some Hela. But then Lots and at one point she well. rips off all the kind of, she rips off all the paintings above them in the Asgard temple or whatever to show that beneath that, there was her and Odin just running roughshod over being, you know, goddess and god of death. And I, I think... Kate Blanchett looks amazing and is amazing in this. She is fit in this. Like she Carla, it's really I guess being a Taika Waititi film, and I think it's really interesting. I think it was a big gamble by Marvel to hire Taika Waititi to do this, because as far Very as I know, what he's done was what we do in the shadows before this, and it's much more of a Taika Waititi film than it is a Marvel film, but it really works. So your stuff filled with some really good Antipodean actors, Carl Urban, Kate Blanchett, Chris Hemsworth, Luke Hemsworth even, Lethahems pops up in that weird cameo at the beginning. And I just think it's funny, you know, yeah, it's funny, it's witty, it's colourful, and Tessa Thompson is my spirit animal. Stuart? So Tycho, he's um, sort of really being onboarded to the whole Disney machine now, so he's now involved in their, in, in their Star Wars um, stuff as well. So he's directed episodes of The Mandalorian, yeah. which is their yeah. Disney show on Disney+. Plus. Um, but then back in, back to Thor Ragnarok, he's also, not only is he directing, he also appears as the character Korg in it as well. So he provides a great voice to Korg, who is this really bulky alien the rock big rock monster. guy. Exactly, yeah. But he's also got this really twee-sweet New Zealand accent, which is a real sort of dichotomy and a difference. And it really and works on so many levels. So cute as well when he turns up at the beginning of Endgame, Korg again. He's like, Thor, that guy's taking the piss out of me again. And he's playing Fortnite with some kid in the basement or whatever. And he gets up. He is Taika Waititi. I find, I know some people find him a little OTT, but I find him incredibly charming. And as Korg in this, he is, he's brilliant with Mick under his arm. The end, you know, the end of Thor Ragnarok is taking you into in, um, Infinity War. It's taking you to the beginning of Infinity War. So it, mm. it fits into the spectrum rather well. And Loki as well. I think, you know, Loki's funny. Um, so it is, this is, I think this is why I didn't hate it as much as the others because Taika Waititi is a comedic director. The one-liners came thick and fast enough to keep me interested in this. There were still huge swathes of them trying to chase other people or escape other people on spaceships and fighting people and all that shit. But the the writing was good. And when people were talking to each other, it was well done. And it's rarely well done when it's just a blokey action film. Because I don't care about what people say to each other. They care about the special effects. And you get a spot of Doctor Strange in there, and you also get Rachel House, oh, yeah, another excellent... Oh, what am I talking about? Of course, Taika Waititi did Hunt for the Wilder People in between... Yes. 
this and and Rachel House and Jojo thing. Rabbit. He did finally. Yeah, but Jojo recently. Rabbit after. I was thinking, yeah. was, what we do in the shadows, then the hunt for the world of people, then this, mm-hmm. uh, then Thor Ragnarok. But Rachel House, who's the main policewoman in it, she plays the right hand woman of Jeff Goldblum with the melting stick. And <laughs> if you've enjoyed this, Ashley, you may wish to look around on YouTube because there were some very amusing YouTube promos that they did at the time to explain why neither Thor nor Hulk, because you see, neither Thor nor Hulk are present in Captain America Civil War. The reason is they're on Ragnarok doing this, but it okay. is there's it, it, it fits in with the whole Avengers thing. And Ash, if you're going to do another one, I really think you need to do the first Avengers. And okay. Stuart's nodding furiously. I'm agreeing. That uh, that, I would suggest that one. Fine, I'll do that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want as much moaning as we've had this week about it, though. Moaning was, and bitching and salt. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It was okay. Should we at least it's get only it? two hours? We rewatched it almost as soon as we said our homework last week. James and I, we, we watched it on Saturday night, and I just loved it all over again. I think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's all, yeah, it's, it's okay. Because it was when Chris Hemsworth really got to show his comic chops. Would you yeah, he's all nodding right, sagely, he? like he's I'm talking right. Marvel. And you can watch this if you don't understand any of the others. A bit like Iron Man, and I don't think you could have done that with the Captain Brie Larson from last week. No. Different things entirely. That's why yeah. I wouldn't have suggested it for you, but you took it. Yeah, I was lied to, and I thought the soundtrack would have made it palatable, but lies. Anyway, we are way well over again. Oopsie. It's only about 10 minutes. Bads. It's fine. <laughs> What else is everyone doing who's listening? You ain't at work properly. Get a grip. Um, so we did Fear City, New York versus the Mafia, snappy three series, three episode mini series. If you're into that kind of thing, I loved it. The other two, not so convinced. How to Build a Girl Again, had great aspirations. It's palatable. It's like a TV version of Almost Famous, which is our oldie but goodie, which you should watch immediately, even if you've seen it four times. It will still be one of the best things you've ever seen in your entire life. Once Upon a Time in Iraq, essential viewing for all of us idiots who didn't know what was going on. And the Marvel homework was Thor Ragnarok, which I did not hate. (laughs) That's amazing. And we haven't had time to set any homework for next week. So we'll do some. Well, no, I have to do. This will be my last show before I go on holiday, obviously. So we're going to have to, you know. Oh, God. Put some stuff together, maybe, for, you know, I can pre-record some stints. Like during the week. What? Well, no, Uh, I can have a week on Monday. Theoretically, unless we're all still locked within our own borders. Who knows? We are going to be. Get, do your big shops and your trips now, kids. Second waves are coming. Don't say I didn't warn you. Um, so I have to watch Avengers number one. Yes. That's the only one Avengers so far. Stuart, anything from you? Anything that's popped up on your radar? There's something coming out on August 8th, which I'm particularly excited for, which is Star Trek Lower Decks, but I don't think it's going to be out in the UK yet. So I think we we'll have to wait for that one. Um, but oh, I will gosh. be watching it by whatever means necessary. Take that internet. <laughs> Okie dokie. I'm also going to watch um, Fire Saga for maybe the fifth time this weekend. Just oh, I would like to be watching that with you, Ashley. That that sounds like a very lovely afternoon. Yeah, yeah, ding dong. Yeah, yeah, okay, ding. well, thanks, Stu, for the beep, 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 boop, boop buttons. Yeah. Shit that you know how to do. Nice to see you, Zem. Thanks for the most professional sounding voice on this podcast, Ashley. That comes from years of training. Second uh, most professional. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this 
episode of Emma and Ash, Screen Queens. Goodbye.